Hey all, welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and today I'm joined by Kyle and Kevin, both uh, famous streamers that have been helping me out so much on my road to affiliate, so I really appreciate you guys' help. Uh, Kyle and Kevin, why don't you guys give a shout out to uh, what where they can find your stream, where they can find you guys on Twitch, Twitter, and all the social media platforms. Famous streamer, I like that. My name is Kevin, I go by Kevin Jackson on Twitch. I used to run and co-host a podcast called Pushing Buttons, where we talk about video games all the time. And yeah, I play games on Twitch now. Yeah, famous is a bit of a stretch, but I like the designation nonetheless. <laughs> uh, I want to be a famous streamer someday. But uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash monumentuskyle. Uh, I try to stream as much as I can, but it's kind of sporadic right now. And I am also formerly of the Pushing Buttons podcast, along with Kevin Jackson. Yeah, that's where I discovered these guys and uh, was on board right away. We both started our podcast at the same time and kind of kept an eye on each other. And then uh, sure enough, when I started streaming, I'm like, well, let me let me emulate these guys. And here we are today. So uh, <laughs> it's worked out well for me. Uh, okay, so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to go ahead and go over our top five favorite game developers. Uh, should be exciting list. I'm hoping we don't have too many copies. I thought for sure we would, so we'll see how that goes. But let's warm up with some questions out of the Geek Box. And I'm pulling one out right now. Ooh, yeah. Which Final Fantasy did you play the most? Um, I would have to say it's either Final Fantasy X or twelve. Okay. And I remember grinding the hell out of Final Fantasy twelve. so I'm going to go with that 12, one. Okay. I played that. Back on the PS2 when it first came out, way back in like 2005, I think. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of fun with that game. It took me a long time to beat, but it was a lot of what fun. What would you say was fun about it? Was it characters or, or story? I actually really liked the Gambit system. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really cool way of playing the game. I mean, for the most part, it just, you know, the efficiency involved with uh, allocating certain Gambits to certain characters and designating certain roles. Like I had Bosch as the tank, I had Ash as the healer, and then I had I think uh, a mixture between Vaughn and Baltier for DPS. I probably said that wrong. <laughs> Baltier? I won't judge you. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, I I need to really sink my teeth into a Final Fantasy. So I gotta. I just gotta. I, I tried Final Fantasy 14. Played maybe 20 minutes and I was out. So I really don't. I can't say too much about it. Um. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? So I don't really have that much experience with Final Fantasy. I've probably played two of them to any extent. Final Fantasy X, I stopped around the Blitzball period because I thought that that was more of a chore than fun. And I, I kind of try to... Ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, do, I couldn't get into it. I, I don't know why. That's what everybody else says is that they love it. And then Final Fantasy VI is the one that I really, really liked that I wish I would have finished, but I, ne I didn't stick with it. It was my problem. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't gotten around to that one, but I want to play it. Oh, you'll like it if you like old school RPGs, like the the best of Super Nintendo, right there. Nice. That's a good way to sell something, right there. <laughs> Next one out of the box, and we're going to be starting with you first, Kevin. Uh, do you buy single issues of comics or wait for the trade? So typically, unless I'm really, really excited for it, and I don't buy that many comics anymore, but when I did, I would buy them issue by issue if it was something that I started buying as it was coming out. But if it was something that I just found out about recently or right as I was going to the store doing my research before going to the comic book shop, I would just buy the trade paperbacks. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? Well, I don't necessarily buy comic books, so I hope to get blasted on here. But uh... put that Twitter out again one more time. Is <laughs> uh... <laughs> that too spooky for Robert? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um but if i were to buy comics i would probably find one i like that i can sink my teeth into and buy them issue by issue as they came out yeah yeah uh when i was younger i tried to do issue by issue but as an adult now i try to do by trades because trades tend to come out with a so uh, a whole story arc together so if i happen to miss a few comics whatever i can pick up the trade and catch up what the story is you know as an entirety um it's it's hard as an adult. As a kid, you're like, oh man, you know, they're a buck fifty. They're real cheap back when we were kids. And you know, hey mom, I just need the next one or whatever. And it was all about collecting them. As an adult, it's like, look, I don't have that much time. So when I do have time, I don't want to be left on too many cliffhangers. I want to like know what's going on, you know. So uh, trades is the way to go. I think is as you grow up. The trades also look better on a bookshelf. They really do. Yeah, they actually do. You get the spine that looks good. All right, let's do one more card. And this one is. 
Which fandoms do you belong to? Oh, boy. This is a hard one for a geek <laughs> podcast. Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Kyle. I would have to go with, obviously, World of Warcraft. You know, the Blizzard. I play a lot of Blizzard games like Hearthstone, Overwatch, World of Warcraft, of course. So that'd be a big one. And on the uh, other side of the spectrum, on like movies, books, uh, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Good choice. I've read all the books. I've tried to, you know get into a lot of the lore of the series and I can't wait for the new Amazon prime show coming out in the next year or two. Yeah, I know me too, man. What about you? What about you, Kevin? Most of, most of the, uh, the things that I really get into geek wise are science fiction related. So star Wars, star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, yeah. Stargate. I love all of them. Uh, the Star Wars franchise is probably my favorite set of movies of all time. And the Star Trek Next Generation is my favorite TV show of all time. That's some awesome lineage right there, honestly. You can't go wrong with either <laughs> of those. Uh, what, myself, it's, hard, it's so much easier to say what I'm not into, which would be basically Doctor Who. Yeah, it's a tough one. So like video game wise, uh, uber fan of, of the Blizzard world. Uh, TV wise, you know, you got your Game of Thrones, and I mean, it's hard to say that's TV, but yeah, book wise, Game of Thrones as well, and Lord of the Rings. Um, comics, uh, Saga, I cannot wait for the last part of Saga. It's driving me nuts that it's not out yet, and I took a break. I'm, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I just, I love, I love wasting time, and so that, that feeds into a lot of hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's easy one to do. All right, uh, so let's go ahead and get to our main topic, guys. We're going to be going over our top five game developers. And Kevin, we're going to start with you. What is your number five game developer? Oh, number five. I went with Sony Online Entertainment. Now, hear me out. (laughs) Hear me out. (laughs) They aren't known for too many games, but the ones that they are known for are good. EverQuest was, it, it took what Ultima Online did with an MMO and made it something massive and appealing on a scale that hadn't been seen since until World of Warcraft came out. I think they they revolutionized the modern uh, MMORPG and Star Wars Galaxies is in my top five favorite games of all mm-hmm. time until Sony Online ruined that. But that's <laughs> another story. I, I just I, they they sink their teeth into something and they can do it really well. And at the time, they were major pioneers in that field. What are the games you were mentioning the the, uh, the online games? What other games do they have? <laughs> like 21 expansions to everquest and everquest yeah. 2 um i as far as i'm aware they only did like major mmos uh quick note so if you're a world of warcraft fan uh it's funny is they that the team that made world of warcraft was actually working on another game that was about like weasels or rats or something like that it, it was an interesting game sure but whatever oh strange yeah, so they were actually yeah they were working on another game, but while they were working on that game, they were de- they were playing EverQuest at home and in the office, and then finally in the break room or something like that, a couple of them were talking like, why don't we just make an EverQuest and World of Warcraft? <laughs> so <it's laughs> EverQuest led into World of Warcraft in more ways than one, like literally. So if you're a WoW fan, you got to thank EverQuest. That's some crazy history that I didn't know about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Kyle, let's get into your number five. All right, so uh, I wanted to kick things off with a really big one. It's Capcom. I feel like, in particular, they've made a lot of franchises that I've Mm -hmm. grown up with over the past couple of decades. Of course, you got Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, and, of course, uh, Mega Man, all that stuff, Dead Rising. There's a lot of variety between their whole category of games. Me, personally, I really enjoy the Devil May Cry series and the Resident Evil series. It's just seen a lot of evolution over the years. You know, some good, some bad, mostly good. And, you know, I can't wait to see what Capcom's up to next. They've just been on a roll lately, especially with Resident Evil. I feel like with the remakes that they've uh, come out with and with Devil May Cry 5, I think the potential is back, like for Capcom to really hit a home run in the coming years. It's just, they're such a stand-up company. One of my favorite games with our name in it, anyways, is the uh, Marvel vs. Capcoms. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love the fighting games, too. I'm not good at them, but, yeah. you know, one day, maybe. <laughs> what uh, Would you want to see a Devil May Cry 1 remake like they're doing with all the Resident Evils? It would be great to see that. I don't know if it's uh, coming anytime soon, but I know the first two games in particular could really use a great update. Mm-hmm. Even the third one. I haven't really... Uh, 
seen too many news, but I know they've remastered it a lot. So hopefully it's in the cards for the coming years. Because yeah. I'm looking back and I'm thinking, I mean, number one, it was one of those that me and my friends were all playing. And I think with today's, you know, Dark Soul environment and Bloodborne environment, there can be there can be a world for it there, you know what I'm saying? Where there's like, you know, number one remastered with a new level of difficulty that pars with Bloodborne and those would be really fun. I think that actually sell well nowadays. Yeah, speaking of remasters, I know uh, Capcom does an excellent job with those as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, with the Resident Evil 2 and the Resident Evil 3 remake, which I haven't played yet, but I want to. Uh, they just did an outstanding job bringing that to modern audiences. Yeah. And I would love to see them do the same thing with Devil May Cry. But uh, they just have a lot of great stuff coming. Like Resident Evil 8. I can't wait to see what that's about. Yeah. And of course, with all their other franchises, you know, maybe we'll have a good Dead Rising game. Who knows? I really like Dead Rising 1. That was a lot of fun. That was game changing right there. Just like, oh, here's an open world. Everything's a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> just have fun. Yeah, I used uh, to that's a good go one. over to Kevin's place and play his Xbox 360 at the time. And I played Dead Rising like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Those hey, move over. Days. I got to kill zombies. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, my number five is going to be Game Freak. Uh, they were originally founded as a video game magazine over in Japan. I didn't know that. That was pretty cool. Uh, they started in the early 80s. And then in 89, they decided to, hey, let's make our own gaming company. They keep reporting on the NES. They wanted to make games for the NES. So that was their main focus for many years until eventually they decided to make this little, like, unknown game called Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Since then, that has clearly been their focus. They've come out with a few other like spin or other games that are not Pokemon related. Generally, it's just a new Pokemon game here and there. I, I got to give them prop. In 2019, they they did announce they're going to be uh, spreading their attention, so they're actually going to try to expand their brand and move past the Pokemon games. But it's impressive to think of a company that's created this brand back in the early 90s and has built an empire on just the one brand. Uh, it shows how much you know fans can attach themselves to these characters that are in a video game because you're playing with them and stuff like that. And when nurtured correctly, can become, you know, this whole empire. Mangas and TV series are based off of this video game. And nowadays, Pikachu is one of the most recognized characters in fiction. Um, and here's this little game company that had a magazine <laughs> that wanted to do more. So my number five is definitely Game Freak. Here's a question. Uh, what's your favorite Pokemon game? Man, the Sword and Shield was really good. I have to, I know it's so hard because Yellow, like, that's my first one. Well, no, Blue is my first one. But yellow was like my first, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to clear this thing. Yeah, that's a tough one. Silver was really good. They're all great games. Like they definitely take, you know, a lot of care of their games, but I have shield and, and shield is like perfect game. It's really good. Good story. The online was done well. Yeah. Design. Good stuff. Nice. I got to go with that one. When you start a Pokemon game, do you typically go with a, the same starter type over and over again in every iteration? Or do you just choose one from the three that you like the most? The one that I like the most. Generally, I'll try to go water because it is the most difficult run. Um, well, let's see. What are... Yeah, water, I think, is. Because I'll try to see which one's the hardest one to do. Because that's one thing with, with sticking to a formula for so many years is it's kind of easier to understand it and be able to beat it. Uh, so go just go fire. You know, you're going to go get grass type in the beginning. But yeah, I generally try to go water, uh, especially back in the early days when it was Bulbasaur. That, I mean, not Bulbasaur, um, Squirtle, who's, you know, freaking legend. Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah me myself uh i've only really played red and gold before i lost interest in the franchise but i tended to stick with the grass type yeah and if i were to come back to pokemon i'd probably still do the same thing the current grass type is really cool it's this i think his name is gookie uh but he becomes like this one called billabong and uh he's just half gorilla half grass type he's a really cool guy it's an awesome one i i also along with you i usually went with the water one I, I just like yeah. Squirrel so much in the original one. Yellow was my first Pokemon game that I played that every time after that, I had to go with the, the water. Yeah, yeah. Squirtle's great. Blastoise, he's amazing. And then like in the in the cartoon, he had the Squirtle Squad, which is one of the best episodes. Oh, I love that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was, that's a classic. Just such a good franchise. Uh, okay, let's go, go ahead and go on to our next one. Kyle, you're going to start us off this time. What is your number four? All right, so interestingly, um, I decided to go a little bit further in-depth with Capcom, and I'm picking Platinum Games as my number four developer. Okay. So if you're not aware, uh, Platinum Games was actually founded by employees of Capcom that decided to branch out on their own. Uh, it was formed by Shinji Mikami, who is, of course, notorious 
for the Resident Evil franchise uh, with his crowning achievement being Resident Evil 4. After that, he left Capcom. And then Hideki Kamiya of the Devil May Cry series, he uh, also joined Shinji Mikami in making Platinum Games. And they just have, from time to time, provided some of the best action games I have ever played. I mean, the list is pretty big. You have, of course, Bayonetta, Vanquish, Near Automata recently, and, you know, coming up soon, we have so many other great games coming out from them. And, of course, uh, my all-time favorite, Metal Gear Rising. I love that game so much. Did they work on any of the other Metal Gears or no? Uh, no, just that one title. It's funny that you say that because I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm not familiar with Metal or with Platinum. But then as soon as you say Bayonetta, you're like, oh, I could see the Devil May Cry inspiration there. You know, it, the art style, the movement style, you kind of can see it in that game, you know? Yeah, Bayonetta is basically Devil May Cry on steroids. It's yeah. <laughs> insanely action-packed. And yeah. shockingly enough, I haven't played Bayonetta 2 yet, and I've heard that's even better. Hmm. Wait, and, what? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You have what are you doing playing Minecraft? <laughs> I'm pretty behind on a lot of my favorite franchises, actually. But uh, interestingly, uh, when they were with Capcom, uh, prior to splitting from them, they were known as Clover Studios. And they also made Okami and Beautiful Joe. So they kind of got their start making those games, which I also loved. Yeah, Okami's legendary. Hmm. And of course, the all-time notorious game, God Hand. That's oh, a trick. Oh, <laughs> That's a good choice, man. That was a deep dive. I, didn't, I now I'm wanting to look into him. Yeah, I I try my best to always play as best as I can, but I always kind of tend out to be average at them. But if I had more time with gaming, I would definitely, you know, try and level up in those particular action adventure games. Yeah, try to hundred percent them. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to Kevin now. <laughs> Kevin, what is your number four? My number four pick is, and it's for one particular reason, CD Projekt Red. And I am not a big fan of The Witcher, and I don't see myself playing much of Cyberpunk 2077. However, so why do you say that? Exactly, right? That, <laughs> that's games. what I love about this. So The Witcher is a fantastic series. I loved as much of the first one as I played. I loved the second one. I couldn't get into the third one so much. But it's more what they've done for game developers in general being uh, good old games. GOG.com, GOG Galaxy, their uh, DRM-free service for buying games. It's, it's, it was the first legitimate competitor that Steam had. And yeah. doing everything DRM-free, basing it off of their own games to boot, is just a fantastic there's a business model yeah it's a fantastic business model and uh, they just put everything into whatever they're doing and it shows with every project that they've had that's a good call and i like the way it, it's based off of what they did for the industry more so than just their games yeah because you can go back nowadays and play old games that wouldn't normally run on modern pcs that they've actually revitalized and made to run on current pcs and the current generation of gamers can actually play old school games that they hear people like us talk about that we love from back in the day <laughs> last year in october i was streaming fear and mm -hmm. i never played the expansions and i had it all on steam installed ready to go but the steam versions were absolutely unoptimized they did not run so i ended up going to gog buying them on there they ran perfectly after i installed them so it's props incredible yeah that's good work. And it, and it's something that as computers go, you know, w things will fall by the wayside. But the video game industry is at an age now where we start to archive our own work now. And we want to look back at what's got us here. It's the same thing with film. You could look back at like these old films and it shows this growth in an industry. So we don't necessarily want to forget these old games. And because of video games, they have to be interactive. It's not like we could just watch a walkthrough. Uh, so it's good that there's a company out there that's taking them and making them playable so that people can experience where we came from, you know. Okay, we're going to be moving on to mine now. We have number four. Oh, okay, this is a good one. Atari. Ooh. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, I went with Atari. Not the 15 different people that owned them, but the original Atari. Uh, founded in Sunnyvale, California in 72 by the amazing Nolan Bushnell. 
Uh, if you're not familiar with and, and Ted uh, Dabney at the time, but Bushnell was is this like young version of the tech geniuses we know today, the personalities and stuff like that. Atari was the first Google or Apple or Facebook or Twitter where uh, the culture, the brand was around them, not just their system itself. They started off making arcades and these pongs and Bushnell is a fun story. So a lot of my information is coming from a podcast called The Dollop. And uh, this is one of their episodes. It's a really good one. You guys check it out. It goes all the way to the burial in the desert. If you guys know what I'm talking about. Bushnell used to hide in the back seat with an axe <laughs> when his when his guys would go out to get the quarters out of the Atari machines because people would break out of them and attack people with axes if they tried to mess with them. He was he was such a badass. He had a philosophy that he didn't care what time you showed up to work, if you were high, if you were drunk, if you wore shirts or no shirts, as long as you got your job done and you got it done right. People started to copy his arcade machines. He ended up mislabeling things like, oh yeah, this is a, this kind of processor. It was just a sticker that was on there. It was actually a whole other kind of processor. So that when people would steal the, the, the motherboards or whatever and try to mimic them, they would get them all wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this guy was, was a game developer in the Wild West of game developing. And he ended up wanting to, hey, I want to make these, but I want them playable at home. So he was the first one to really push for that playable at home thing. There were other consoles that were there, but they weren't like for the masses, you know, yet. He was the first one that wanted to make it for the masses. He started to get these movie tie-ins. Famously, the E.T. one. But if you guys are all familiar with Pitfall, that was originally because they got the license for Indiana Jones. Uh, he's the reason that we have the gaming industry we have today. He really started off. And he's one of those first tech gurus that we had back in the day. He eventually sold off his company. And then it was sold throughout the line. But in 84 is when he sold it off uh, after the 83 crash of video games. He then went off to found Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> so, oh, dang. Yeah. Nolan Bushnell has an eye on the ball. Atari was one of these companies that at a time was unstoppable, was worth the same as Apple. And um, and actually what's funny is Wozniak and Jobs, was it Jobs? I think it was Jobs, uh, went to Bushnell and says, hey, we got this small company. They both worked for him. We got this small company. If you want to put in 50K, you, you could be a third of the company. He's like, I, I respect you guys, but right now I'm too so busy with Atari, I can't. So they were like, oh, we appreciate that. They left the company to start their own. That is Apple, and he missed out on joining Apple. But, he, you know, it's just, he was one of the first, like, legends in the gaming world. So I'm going to give it up to for Atari for number four. Not a lot of people can turn down Apple and yeah. still become a legend this many years later. Some of the early stories of how he used to do things, like, he tried to sell the uh, system to somebody. And when they came over, he was like, all right, first thing we're going to do, we're going to get drunk. <laughs> he was just like, he would party with, like, these executives from, from Japan or whatever. And he's like, we're going to do box races through the office. And he would put them in boxes and like push them down really fast. They're like, they're in suits, <laughs> dude. They're not familiar with your let's party, bro, <laughs> lifestyle. But um, he was he was a legend. Do you guys used to have, did you guys ever have Atari systems growing up? Not me, no. No, I didn't either. First uh, first one I ever had was a, a, just the NES. Same, yeah. Uh, I, I now own one out of respect, mostly, but... Uh, yeah, the NES was kind of my starter one as well. So I miss this one a bit. But my parents had one. They had the Pong, and that was like the shit back in the day. Now I'm looking back at it, and I'm like, but how? That's a screensaver. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a bad one. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move into our Tier 3. I'm going to start us off with Tier 3 as well. And uh, this one's real poignant for the game that we were playing last night. <laughs> my oh, number yes. 3 is going to be Rare. <laughs> So Rare was founded as Ultimate Play the Game. By the way, way to name a company. That's an excellent name. Ultimate Play the Game in 85. Uh, they were a little indie company, but ended up making a deal with the newish company Nintendo, who gave them an unlimited budget to make games for their Famicom system, which eventually became NES for the US. With that new salary of Infinite, <laughs> they ended up pumping out a ton of titles for them and working with a bunch of new companies, uh, three of them called... Acclaim, which we all know Acclaim nowadays, you know, uh, Electronic Arts, which they charge us for all our microtransactions, <laughs> and then Sega, which would become an NES competitor. So Rare was the scene, was the guys behind the scenes for so many of the big companies we know today. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. They are responsible for taking Donkey Kong and making him a hero, because originally he was just a villain, and uh, they created Donkey Kong Country. And then would have furthered that uh, brand into its own franchise, including Diddy Kong Racing, 
which was their first self-published title game. It was it had open world and had different vehicles. To me, it was better than Super Mario Brothers or Super Mario Kart. Did you guys, by the way, did you guys play Diddy Kong Racing? Oh, oh yeah, totally classic. Uh, in two thousand two, they decided to partner with uh, Microsoft, and they've been doing that since then. And they are the bridge between Microsoft and Nintendo. And since then, so um, hold on, what was the first game? It was Diddy Kong for the DS. So some of the characters on Diddy Kong Racing are licensed by the other company. Rare got them both to sit at the table and share in the property so that they can make it for the the uh, the uh, uh, DS and use some of what was now owned by Xbox. Uh, so I think it was both mostly Conquer. And since then, Nintendo and Microsoft has been working together on a lot of the, like smaller projects. And eventually, rumors are out there that Xbox games will be able to stream to your Switch. The first game that was Xbox made, Microsoft made, moved over to the Switch was Cuphead. And there's going to be more upcoming. And a lot of that is because of Rare getting them to the table. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. I love Cuphead. That's really fascinating. It's such a hard game. I can't freaking beat it. <laughs> I'm so stuck on that game. <laughs> Other hits from this company include Banjo-Kazooie, Conker's Bad Fur Day, GoldenEye 007, one of the like best N64 games ever, uh, Everything Donkey Kong, Viva Pinata, Killer Instinct, and of course, Sea of Thieves. This company's they stay humble and small. They're from the UK. Uh, I was telling Kyle about this. One of their offices is literally decked out like the hull of a ship. So that's where they do like their their meetings every week with everybody at home. Like, oh, this is what's going on with Sea of Thieves. It actually looks like you're inside one of the ships. It's really cool. Oh, that's badass. I'd love yeah. to work there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's such a cool little company. Um, but yeah, they're, they've been behind so many games that we know and love today. Uh, they empower Nintendo. They are currently powering Microsoft's library. What a wonderful company. Any games in the Rare Library outside of Diddy Kong Racing that you guys are, are fans of? Uh, me personally, I love the Banjo-Kazooie series. I, I also, uh, a hidden gem, I'll say, is Jet Force Gemini for the Nintendo 64. I know oh, you played that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a great game. Um, I'm sure it didn't age well <laughs> by today's standards. <laughs> but at the time, it was a fun third-person shooter. Basically, uh, you have two characters, their brother, sister, and they have to rescue these tribals, which are like, you know, giant furry bears or something from these evil alien bugs. And when you, you know, shoot these things, they explode into guts and goo and all that. So I don't know. It was a fun game for the time being. Yeah. I haven't heard of that before. That sounds, I'm sounds surprised. Like fun. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? Any rare titles that you're a big fan of? Uh, no, I honestly didn't play too many of them, to be perfectly honest. I missed out on a large portion of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, for me, when they were first acquired by Microsoft, I was kind of bummed because they lost all their access to those franchises. I mean, yeah. of course, they did Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, which I haven't played. But the only thing I really know about them is that they also did the Connect Avatar system, if I'm not mistaken. And then grabbed by the ghoulies. That right. And that's about it. And that's the last I heard of them until see if these came out. Yeah, after grabbed by the ghoulies, they did a game called Cameo, which you could tell was like... Oh, Cameo, that's right. Yeah. X Microsoft put so much into that, they really thought that was going to be their, their new breakout. Uh, it was actually a really well-made game. It just didn't grab people. I played it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a good platformer. And, I rented uh, that one on Gamefly. On Gamefly. There we go. We should do a special episode about Gamefly. <laughs> They're still out there, guys. They're renting movies now, too. That's so nuts. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and go on to Kyle. So, number three. So, I actually had a really uh, contentious uh, bout with picking my number three. Okay. Basically, uh, I'm focusing more so on the advancement of narrative storytelling. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the three that I came close to the wire. Uh, you have Sony Santa Monica Studios, Naughty Dog, and Rockstar Games. That's a very tough three. Yeah. And, you know, I have to give the edge to Naughty Dog, and I'll tell you why. So with Sony Santa Monica Studios, they're mostly known for the God of War franchise. And it wasn't until their most recent edition, which was Pushing Button Podcasts, uh, 
you know, 2018 game of the year. The one time we had a game of the year show. <laughs> and uh, of course, with Rockstar Games, they really pushed that narrative in the open world setting. And while I love Red Dead Redemption and what that's opened the door for, for future developers, I have to give the edge to Naughty Dog because they've made like the perfect cinematic experience. And for me, Uncharted, Last of Us, and with The Last of Us 2 coming out soon, I can't tell you, like, when I play those games, I am sucked in, and I can't pull myself away unless I have to eat or sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and even then it can take a... <laughs> to sit on the back yeah, burner. Exactly. <laughs> sleep gets in the way. It's such a pain. I still um, recall uh, when Uncharted 2 came out, I played through the entire thing in, like, one sitting. It was crazy. And, and the way they make those games, and we, we said the term a lot on our podcast, but cinematic, you know, uh, <clears throat> they they tell a story and the environment gets you right into it. Like, like it's so much good storytelling and also motion capture on the face and these amazing settings. And man, they just, they suck you right in. Those are fantastic. The lighting, everything about those games is really, really good. I think what I like most about Naughty Dog is that they've kind of grown up as a company as we have. You know, they they started off with Crash Bandicoot, kind of leveled up to Jack and Daxter, and now are doing these cinematic masterpieces like Uncharted and The Last of Us. Seeing their evolution as a game developer kind of going in line with how our interests change go, going up, growing up from kids to now being adults. It's it's nice seeing that. Yeah, it's very exciting to see unfold. Yeah, that's a very good observation there. That's slick. Yeah, they, uh, man, those that Jack and Dexter, that's like a forgotten gem, forgotten gem right there. I'm surprised it's not being remade. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Oh, it <laughs> probably will be. Just give it a month or two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> PS5 exclusive. <laughs> All right, for my number three, this is the one indie game developer that I have on my list, unless you count CD Projekt Red, but Super <laughs> Giant Games. Oh, they've only they've only done three and a half games so far. Their fourth one right now is in early access, so it's not done yet. But going from Bastion to Transistor to Pyre and now into Hades, they are four completely separate games that completely different in how they're played. But you can tell that each one of them has their trademark uh, sound design, the the audio, the the music, the the feeling of the game, the fluidity of the controls, everything just has that signature super giant touch to it and just sucks you in from the minute you start playing until the minute you're done playing. And then you want to go back and play it again. <laughs> Every yeah. super giant game has done that to me. I've played Bastion twice. I've played Transistor almost twice. I've yet to play Pyre, but I've already put like, I don't know, 30 hours into Hades. And it's still not even out yet. Man, that is a good call right there. Bastion's my first, I would say, outside of like Minecraft, my first indie title that I was like, I have to go play that. And I went out and bought it. And then I just played Transistor a few months back because it was free on the Epic Game Store. And like, what a grab. That thing is beautiful. Oh, such a beautiful game. Yeah, that's a good choice there. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't have enough indie title or indie companies on my list. I'm glad you brought one up. That's a good one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Let's head into our number two. Kyle, why don't you kick off number two? Oh, man, I've had quite a bout between this and the number one. Um, mm. I do have to mention, like, both of these, if you know me, are pretty high on my list. Like, in regards to, like, my all-time favorite video games. Mm -hmm. So, number two for me is Nintendo. Okay. And, of course, you know, there's so many different development teams over the years. But what I really wanted to focus on is their key vision for innovating. And we see that not only with their consoles, but also with their games. Each console handheld they release, they always try to up their game. We saw that with, of course, uh, the N64 going into 64-bit gaming. Then you had the GameCube, which, you know, they tried to do the portable thing, but it didn't really work out that generation right. for them. And, of course, their handhelds are stellar. Like, the DS was game-changing at the time, having two screens. Like, that was unheard of in portable gaming. And then you, you know, later on they had the switch and the Wii and those 
step the game up even further with motion controls and you know console gaming and portability into one yeah so seeing that evolution through the years it also translates well into their game development and of course you have the zelda series the mario series and all their other uh franchises like animal crossing and whatnot and for me personally breath of the wild what they've done for the open world game and that design in particular it's really opened the floodgates for future innovation and it's got me really excited to see what they have up their sleeves next yeah they're, and they're the most consistent name in gaming over the years too and on the on the handheld thing that brought up a, a good thought in my head here uh so yeah they they've always had the heads up on gaming or i'm sorry on handheld gaming i'm thinking okay so it was the game gear that sega came out with mm-hmm. and then i think it was sony had the psp when they came out both those systems were you know technolo- technologically more advanced they were the better systems but nintendo beat them out with quality games that they back up all their systems with uh with you know never putting out anything that they didn't trust there's always that seal that golden seal that used to be on the front of all the uh, nintendo games uh and so they, they beat them out in the long run and which is crazy because i mean when the psp came out it had like this you know tv quality video and hd was near hd uh and it was just blowing them out of the water there they had their own movie cartridges i don't know if you guys had those but I remember having Spider-Man 2 on that um, <laughs> and uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And yeah, they just, they always make high quality games. I mean, it's, it, it's a good call. It says a lot about them too, that in the era of smartphones and how flooded the market is with them, like that they're able to combine console gaming and portable gaming into the Switch and for it to be successful at that, it just says a lot about how much their innovation has driven their business and their success. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's such a staple of gaming that they're they are currently the only console allowed in China. I mean, that shows how important they are That's to crazy. the gaming industry. <laughs> but they they made a deal with Tencent. Tencent owns I think it's 15% of the company just so they can get their foot into China. Uh there was such a high demand for that. So, um man, they're they're out there. They're staples. Looking back, what is your favorite Nintendo system? Man, that's a difficult thing to answer. I mean, I have such fond memories with all the main consoles. I would say my favorite console is probably going to be the N64. Yeah. Just for the pure nostalgia value, like playing Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Like there's nothing going to be able to replicate that jump from the, you know, 1632 bit era to the 64 bit era where 3D was, you know, just being explored for the first time. Yeah, that leap resonates with me the most. That's a good choice there. Yeah, myself, I, I, I'm, I'm real tempted to go in 64 with you. I'm going to choose the Game Boy, though. Uh, it, it was crazy. I remember the fact that, like, oh, the Game Boy is more powerful than the computers that put people on the moon. It, it was just so nuts how advanced we got to be able to put this in our hands. And, I mean, we had Kirby. We had, uh, they ended up putting the, the 85 Mario on there. Uh, it had a whole slew of its own games that were really well done, and that system evolved quickly. So in my young childhood, I saw it go from this black and white with some blur to some awkward coloring to Game Boy Advance. I mean, it, it was so quick over like the six years that it came out that it was just like, man, we are in the future now. <laughs> you know, like technology's moving <laughs> quick. Uh, and I, I can't help but think it had some influence on what we have today in smartphones. So, you know, this idea that you could have a whole computer in your pocket. Uh it went through a shit ton of AA batteries, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> they were always, whenever you went to the dentist office, that was the thing that I always looked forward to the most was being able to play the Game Boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about you? What was your favorite one, Kev? As tempted as I am also to, am to say the N64, because that was the one that I had the most fond memories of as a kid. Um, even now as an adult, I have to say the Super Nintendo, the games are just more replayable to me. I love yeah. Donkey Kong Country. I love uh, Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World. I, th- that was the first Mario Kart. Uh, just so many good games. Pa- Paper Mario, was that on there? No, I'm thinking Super Mario RPG. I just had to correct myself there. Super Mario RPG was so good. It's just countless games. Countless. How was that not remade? Right? <laughs> that's crazy. That is such a good game. Because they're already perfect games. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I can play them now. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly. 
If you have the Switch, guys, 20 bucks a year, and you have access to a whole library of NES and Super Nintendo games. And uh, I'm going through Super Mario World on that thing, and it's it's the best thing I'm playing on the Switch right now. Heck <laughs> it's yeah. really good. All right, man. Good. That was a really good choice for your number two. Thank you. All right, let's go into my number two. This one, I, I had a hard time being realistic about this and not putting it number one. <laughs> it is Blizzard Entertainment. So, founded in 91 as Silicon and Synapses, which is such a cutchy name. These guys, these early in the days, they knew how to name things, you know. <laughs> it was founded by Mike Morheim, which is a legend who just retired last year, or no, two years ago. Uh, Frank Pierce and Alan Adden. Uh, they started with Rock and Roll Racing and Lost Vikings. What's really cool is over the years, they keep referring back to these two games, these these games that were in their roots. And so like in, or in uh, yeah, Overwatch, while you're setting up, you can see like a Lost Viking arcade machine set up in the corner and stuff like that. It's really cool. Uh, in World of Warcraft, there are, let's see, I think it's in, is it in Uldum? There's a boss that's actually three Vikings there with the right coloring and everything like that and named after these guys. Oh, nice. Uh, it, yeah. And then they really stepped it, up, stepped it up with Warcraft, Orcs, and Humans. This led to an entire empire. They got Starcraft that was somewhat based off this game with its play style. They, of course, had World of Warcraft. Uh, it really launched them off. And then they had Diablo and Overwatch. Uh, in the In the early days especially, Blizzard was known for not a lot of IPs, but really high-quality, high-polished IPs. Uh, they didn't put out a game that they didn't have 100% approval on, uh, and I respected them for that. And so did a lot of other people. They gained a huge cult following, so much so that they started a yearly convention called BlizzCon. If you guys listen to the show, you know that we're huge fans of BlizzCon. Uh, they, were the they were founders, not the founders, but founders of esports. What was StarCraft? It was huge and, and was played up until the launch of StarCraft II. And then in StarCraft 2, to this day, I think it launched in 2011, if not 2010, is still a huge eSport. Uh, they, uh, they helped create Dota 2, which was created in their engine for Warcraft 3. So Dota 2, which is the biggest eSport in the world right now, uh, was created with, world, with Blizzard in mind. Uh, they created a, an entire community with World of Warcraft that's lasted 17 years. There are people who've been playing that game and paying their $15 a month for 17 years can't no other video it. game i <laughs> yeah i can't think of another game that has that you know and i know you're sitting there like man yeah but yeah they probably stopped here and there no they gave out trophies two years ago to everybody who's kept their sub up the entire time so and people are getting these trophies these statues of orcs uh for for 15 years or for yeah 15 years of 15 dollars a month so pretty amazing they they started this campus lifestyle which now is is something you see at like google and stuff like that where at the campus, if you're working for them, you could take your breaks. You go do tennis, go do this, go do that. It was more of a hmm, a life and not so much a workplace. You know, you had friends that worked with you. You felt good going into work, not like it was work. Uh, there now they have been susceptible to uh, crunch culture, like all others in the gaming industry. They work on that. And I totally, you know, that's something they need to work on. But they have early on taken the steps against that. They have since uh, teamed up with Activision, which many of us Blizzard fans are like, ah, shit, Activision, <laughs> you know. But um, they they still show that they they have these moments where they're still the old school Blizzard, and uh, they are the reason I have some of my friends today that uh, you know we we BS and stuff like that. It's because we we met each other through guilds on uh, World of Warcraft. So Blizzard's actually you know a big part of my life, and and they were really cool. That's that's my number two. Uh, you guys play? Well, I know, I know, I know Kyle's answer. Absolutely, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any Blizzard game out there, Kevin, that you're a big fan of? Diablo two was my life when I was in middle school and just starting in high yeah. school. That was the thing that I played, and I played the most of that out of any Blizzard game to date. Incredible series. Yeah, excellent game, and that's another one that was played until. I mean, it's still played today, but I mean, people were playing that actively until Diablo three came out. That shows how well done those games were. Uh, Kyle, I know you play a lot of World of Warcraft, but what was your first Blizzard game you played? Actually, it was the uh, original Warcraft. I was introduced oh, wow. to it at an early age. My older brother had a PC, and he would play all those old school RTSs like Command and Conquer, you know, Warcraft, etc. And wow. I just remember really vividly the art style just really stood out for the time that's pretty good one that is an old school one 
uh, mine is StarCraft, the first StarCraft. And I remember we had the one computer in the parents' room. And so, and it was my first online game too. I'm sitting there playing and they're like, Frank, you need to go to bed. Frank, you need to go to bed. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I'm like trying to stay real quiet, like softly kick the, click the mouse so I guess they can go to sleep and I can keep playing. Um, man, so, and uh, to this day, you know, you, first thing you do, I can remember type in power overwhelming, get yourself unlimited power and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just such a classic game. They, they've they definitely instilled themselves in my, in me. Kevin, what is your number two? So my number two has a little bit more lineage than my number three does. Uh, <laughs> number two is LucasArts. And you may okay. be thinking, hey, Kevin, you said at the beginning of this podcast that you're a big Star Wars fan. Is that why you're picking mm-hmm. LucasArts? And yes, that's about <laughs> half of it. <laughs> but they don't, they're not around anymore. And they weren't making, they haven't made Star Wars games in a while. So they're, they're, that's actually not the main reason. The main reason is the adventure games that they pioneered, perfected, and are still being remade, remastered to this day. Like Day of the Tentacle. You've got Maniac Mansion. You've got... Uh, uh, the Monkey Island series, all those classic adventure games that whenever you stop and think about the origins of that genre, you can't avoid thinking about LucasArts 100%. Totally agree, man. Monkey Island. Damn, that's that is that's in the history books right there. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, I didn't, it's funny because I, I have to be one of those that would be a, a victim of thinking, oh, yeah, it's just Star Wars. But no, that's that's a good that's a good library right there. Um. Of their Star Wars titles, though, what was your favorite one? Oh, man. I I don't remember exactly when they stopped doing the Star Wars, all the Star Wars stuff themselves, because I'd like to say Jedi Outcast, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, but that was, I think, developed by Raven, not by okay. LucasArts. Um, I loved the Podracer game for the N64. Yeah, that was good. God, uh, there's a ton of them, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the pod racer game was really good. I especially liked it when you got to see it in an arcade because they actually had like the pod itself. I don't know if you saw any of those. Oh, it was yeah. like you're sitting in a pod. You've got the throttles that you uh, one yeah. goes forward and backward. The other one goes, uh, you use it to turn left and right. Yep. Heck Suck yeah. Suck some quarters into that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the X-Wing and TIE Fighter series games were also really good. Some of my earliest pc gaming memories were actually on the five and a quarter inch really floppy disk drives you know when floppy disks were actually floppy oh yeah yeah. zach mccracken that was a a text-based adventure game in the style of you know the the first monkey island and stuff and i'm not sure which came first there but i remember my brother and i trying to figure out that game god we had to have been i was probably six years old or so when we were playing that and oh man some of my earliest gaming memories and fantastic stuff that's legendary man i mean and back then you couldn't just google it i mean you had to solve it (laughs) i remember we go to the grocery store and i'd be like look you can find whatever groceries you want i gotta go to the magazine aisle because they'd have like the video game magazines i just need some help (laughs) and then you'd go to like what games i'm playing you know look for the cheat codes you can't i used to have little library of cheat codes in the back (laughs) get what you can while you're there oh man that's classic I'm thinking, man, those old floppies. I want to say that my main game I was playing was Carmen San Diego on those things. Oh, shoot. I forgot about those games. Those were fun, too. Yeah. Those <laughs> loud clicking and thing the drive would make. Oh, my God. How did we advance from that? That's <laughs> unreal. <laughs> hey, oh, man. That's crazy. Uh, okay. So, you know what, Kevin? Let's go ahead and have you start off with number one. All right. Number one. Oh, oh, oh I think I'm ready for this. All right. <laughs> My number one, and I'm ready for the flack that I'm about to get, is Bioware. Oh. Bioware. Okay, okay. Bioware is my number one. I, I will say specifically because of the first Mass Effect game. I was going to wonder. Yeah, okay. But beyond that, their classic RPG games, Neverwinter Nights, and games that pretty much took what Blizzard did with Diablo and made them a little... I, based more on, I guess, Icewind Dale and that ilk, like the really hardcore mm-hmm. RPG games. And then ev- they evolved from there into games like Dragon Age and Knights of the Old Republic and what you see with, I guess, Anthem to some extent. <laughs> For better <laughs> or worse. <laughs> yeah. Before Bioware was uh, bought out by Electronic Arts, uh, they had, it was just that Bioware trust. You know, any game that they put out, you could trust that it was going to be 
fantastic. And you could tell the turning point, specifically with me, between Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 is when yeah. that that changed. But Mass Effect 1, has, I've got some of my best gaming moments. I That was actually one of the first games I ever, like, got, I, like, I teared up. I got emotional over it. And it wasn't even the ending. It was, like, right before the ending. Oh, just if you haven't played it, play it. Um, yeah games can do that man i mean that's that you're you are the character you're more attached than you would to a, a film yeah it, it's bioware's writing that actually made me realize that i could feel that way about video games honestly and that's why they're my number one now you said that you you discovered it between one and two and i want to say most people would think it's after two what between the two made you think that there's going to be a shift coming <laughs> uh two felt more like it was going the way of a michael bay film than a bioware oh, yeah. video game it was all about the big set pieces and the explosions and it, they totally did away with the cast and crew from the first game and it just rewrote everything that was going on they even brought a new ship in killed off the captain off, or killed off shepherd like at the beginning it was just it's insane <laughs> it was like yeah. it was as jarring as going from if you went straight from Star Trek The Next Generation to Star Trek Discovery, just that jump from one to the other, just so different. It was yeah. a bit of a stretch. Like, you know, back then we didn't really give it too much thought. But when you really think about it, the whole idea that they scrapped, like everything Mass Effect once stood for and just kind of redid everything, like, you know, from like the ground up, the foundation. Like, it was really quite odd that they went in that direction. I think a lot of that was from the feedback that they got on from the first Mass Effect game, that the combat was a little janky. But honestly, I didn't care about that. I loved the the story and the writing and the RPG elements to it that they totally did away with in Mass Effect 2. Yeah, and it reminds me of back in the day when you had two different companies working on the Call of Duty games and you'd have... You could you could almost feel like you could almost feel the two different companies feel they're almost like different games that just had the same title. Uh, it was like Call of Duty Two was was Infinity War or something like that, and then you know the next one Call of Duty Three was a whole other company didn't feel right, and then Call of Duty you know Modern Warfare felt back and went back, and so you kind of had that feel where it was just like this doesn't feel like it's made by the same guys. It's a whole other feeling to it. And then I liked how you're saying you used to be able to trust Bioware when games came out. That's something that we don't have nowadays. I feel like uh, where you you just have trust in that company. You really got to play by year now. Yeah, but it was Mass Effect 2 and Dragon Age 2. Specifically Mass Effect 2 because of how much I love the first, but Dragon Age 2 was also a terrible game. I have Dragon Age. I think the one I played was Dragon Age Inquisition, I think it was called. They redeemed themselves a little bit with that one. That was a good one. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, funny thing about Anthem, I, I bought it brand new. And it's still in its wrapping. I have not opened it yet. So. <laughs> and you might get like this, a 50 whole cents out of that now. At this point, it's a, a matter of pride <laughs> to keep that thing in its packaging. That's a statement right there, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Let's. I'll go ahead and start off with my number one. Uh, my number one is going to be super out of love field. It's called Carbine Studios. Are you guys familiar with it? Carbine. Sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Founded by 17 former World of Warcraft developers in 2005, uh, it brought on members from Diablo 2, StarCraft, Metroid Prime, Fallout, EverQuest, City of Heroes, and Half-Life 2. So basically, you got a stable of badasses, right? <laughs> uh, they set out to make an MMO that was difficult again. So this was about the time in 2005, they, they, you know, World of Warcraft was just coming out, and they saw that World of Warcraft was going to start going into looking for groups, and it was starting to make that change into... Life is easier. Let's just get more people on board. And they're like, no, it should be difficult. You should be leaning on the fact that the community has to be involved for anything to happen. So they wanted to make their own MMORPG uh, that was going to be difficult and hard to do without four or 39 other people helping you. Uh, they started a game called Wildstar. It's set oh, in space. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. It's now set it in space. Yeah. And it, it took itself lighthearted. It was, you know, a lot of joking. Every time you leveled up, he's like, whoa, you're a big shot now and stuff like that. There's always a guy talking shit, basically. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And what this company did with this game was then mimicked by all the other big titles. And and they were around for just a blink in, in the gaming world. So let me go over a couple of things here. They introduced housing into their game. And it was a thing where you're able to collect items and make your own house. And really you can mimic the properties any way you want. They People made like these big at-at walkers. And they made uh, giant castles and stuff like that. 
this predated Minecraft that, that this that came out. Uh, and then World of Warcraft right away put garrisons in the next expansion. So, <laughs> it, you know, everybody was trying to copy them. They had these two guys that would do this like weekly show where they would sit and stream like developer updates and, oh, here's some fan art and stuff like that. They were very streamer kind of personalities, you know. And this was at a time before Twitch was really taken off too big. And, you know, it was kind of all tucked away in corners. And uh, now we have companies, again, like Blizzard, who do these updates where Q&As are happening and stuff like that. And it was maybe a year after that these guys started doing it, you started seeing other companies do that, where you have these digital online press events happening all the time. Wildstar started that. Uh, another thing was their economy. Their economy was based off of a uh, you put so many items in, and then they would automatically sell for whatever was the going price when somebody needed to take something out. That economy was mimicked by uh, Elder Scrolls Online and uh, Guild Wars 2, and then, of course, World of Warcraft. So, so many little things came out of this little carbine studios that made a little game called Wildstar. They were bought in 2000, let's see, 2007, so that's only two years, by NCSoft. NCSoft then laid everybody off in 2016, and then in 2018, they decided to fully destroy Carbine and close down Wildstar completely. So that was really like two years of life on their own. But in that two years, they made so many bold choices that uh, the gaming industry took note and adopted a lot of their policies. Uh, they're, they're amazing. They have a couple, I shouldn't even say this on, on a podcast, they have some private servers out there, you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and <wow. laughs> super uber dedicated fans. It's one of the few games, like World of Warcraft now at this point, uh, you know, I've leveled a lot of tunes to where it's it's almost like, okay, I just got to level this tune. I'm not going to pay attention to the storyline. The leveling process in Wildstar was so good that you enjoyed the story every time. Uh, it was a lot of fun, lighthearted little quests that just brought a smile upon your face. There's one dungeon, you know, again, everything's in space, where as you're doing it, you're slowly getting higher and higher, like, like induced highness. <laughs> and... Um, by the last boss, you're tripping balls so much that you're fighting the vending machine that's throwing up rainbows. Like, it's just a weird, fun game. And that boss was fucking hard. <laughs> like, this game was not easy. Uh, it definitely required uh, a lot of people to help. But unfortunately, it did not have a lot of people flocking to it because gamers tended to actually get used to the easier life. They weren't necessarily on board for the difficult gameplay of the original World of Warcraft. And by the end, there was only two 40-man guilds actually active rating on the ser on all the servers put together so um shows you know all this money got put into a game for 80 decent players <laughs> and it's it's not a really good return on your investment uh and unfortunately they had to close things down but yeah that was that was carbine studio guys it's a great little company for a little Jeez. while there so you said they got bought out by ncsoft right yes that was totally the downfall when that happened too like you could just feel it in the community everybody's just like shuddered oh, and then here comes the first shot mount. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. The only games that I can even think of from NCSoft were probably competitive MMOs to them. Like they did yeah. Star Trek Online. They did City of Heroes, City of Villains. Those are the only games that I could think of that NCSoft yeah. ever did. They did Blade and Soul, which is still doing pretty good, but it's mostly a North or a South Korean game. Um, but yeah, they that's pretty much it. They're all competitors. And when they bought them, you could feel the treatment was very kind of like, Oh, yeah, and we have Wildstar. It's like, oh, that's stupid. And then they, they put them on Steam for, like, free. I played and, it, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun little game. Had had a bright color palette and everything like that. I got a friend, Tabby. Shout out to Tabby. Uh, she's such, she is such an Uber fan. Again, she's on those other servers we're not supposed to mention. But when they were starting to see troubles, she ran around to all her local Walmarts and Targets and bought up physical copies. She had stacks of physical copies just trying to send money to, to Carbine. Oh, man, that's some dedication. That's how their fans were. If they were given more years, they would have been the new Blizzard. They would have had their own conventions. They would have had... A I was... Dude, no joke. Tuesday mornings, I think it was Tuesday mornings. Me and Tabby were on the phones texting back and forth like, Hey, you ready? Here it goes. Here comes... I think it was like... What was it called? The Nexus. Yeah, that was their weekly stream. The Nexus. <laughs> here comes... We were just like live tweeting it to each other basically we were all excited about it it was a really good stream it was really well done and now when you see like these big streamers it's like man you guys are emulating what these guys set up so long ago <laughs> uh it was so classic so all right kyle man what's what is your number one man the pressure uh so <laughs> throughout this whole recording we've talked about trusting developers 
nostalgia and of course the all-encompassing view of you know game design and how we feel it's relevant to each of us so with that being said you know knowing me kevin you probably already know who it is it's going to be from software creators of the dark soul series shock and all (laughs) (laughs) you know i was thinking like the reason i'm kind of shocked i'm like Okay, yeah, Dark Souls, but what else? <laughs> so I was, I was sitting there thinking, of like, what else was there? Well, for me, uh, this was really, you know, a discovery that came out of left field for me. I discovered from software through Demon Souls, which was a PS3 exclusive at the time. And I've never played anything like it prior to discovering that game. And, of course, in subsequent years, they've only stepped up their game with Dark Souls and Bloodborne and now with Sekiro more recently. And I just feel like as a company, they have this philosophy that speaks to me personally. You know, they put out a product, they want as much people to play it, but they don't want to compromise their integrity and they don't add difficulties for that reason. You know, they feel like that would fragment all of their players Whereas if it's just one single difficulty, it unites that community to talk to each other, to piece together not only the best strategies for defeating the boss characters or even regular enemies, but also to piece together the lore behind the games. And to me, that's the most exciting part about From Software's design. They go with like a minimalistic style, which I think translates really well to natural discovery by the player. And not only that, but to make it a role-playing game, I feel like for me personally, like I'm in the game when I play it. And I don't say that very often about games. It's really rare. Like the only other time I really feel that way is with the Legend of Zelda series. Yeah. And what they've done, mainly with uh, Miyazaki, he's the main director, president of the company. Uh, His designs for the enemies like these are all his personal designs he would read lots of gothic horror for inspiration for his designs that's what led to bloodborne which is one of my all-time favorite games and overall i just feel like they can't do anything wrong they're gonna always deliver quality games we've seen it time and time again and you know even thinking back on like older games i feel like Dark Souls and that whole genre of gaming. It's similar to the old NES days when you'd have a random platformer that you couldn't beat because of how frustrating it was. <laughs> Ninja <laughs> like Gaiden, we, I'm looking at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like uh, there's been so many games analyzed in the past like that are notorious for being difficult to beat the game. But with, you know, from software's games, you earn that victory. Like you feel like you've achieved a great feat whenever you make progress in the game. And that's why I love them so much. Like for me, it's like invoked that feeling, that spirit inside of myself whenever I play one of their games. And that's why they're my number one developer. Dude, that is such a great pick, man. Cause I'm thinking now, like the community thing's really good point. There's, it, it, they don't deliver much, but there are a bunch of people farming content as much as they can out of these. And there's discords dedicated to them, Reddit's dedicated to them, entire communities, and uh, looking for any clues they can. And then another thing I was thinking is they kind of created their own genre. Because, I, I mean, countless times I say, like, oh, yeah, it's a kind of a, like a Dark Souls. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's, yes. it's like it's in a new genre now. This is another reason why I love them so much. They've inspired, you know, so many spinoffs, or, you know, copycat games. But even those games have kind of innovated their individual genres. The number one example of this is Hollow Knight by Team Cherry. Like the Metroidvania style Dark Souls inspired design. That is a fantastic game up and down. Everything about it is perfect. I would have included them on this list, but I wanted to give Kevin the indie game nom. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I loved Hollow Knight. And of course, being inspired by Dark Souls, it made total sense. The the game I like the best, I think, is inspired by them is For Honor. Have you guys played that yet? I have not. No. 
I watched okay. a bunch of it when it came out, but that's that's Ubisoft, right? Yes. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is Ubisoft. Yeah. Um, I I really liked it, and the whole time I'm playing it, I'm talking to my my buddy who finished it. And he's like, I'm like, dude, this feels like the Dark Souls, because uh, it has that thing where you're you're going along, and there's some easier targets, but then you're like locked in this one on one, and it's that transition that's really nice. Uh, and then you know, and then we're looking at Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. That's you know? one I was gonna mention. I was gonna bring that up too. I, I know Kevin's a fond of that game. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, speak to that and how how much it's it's taken an example. So I've never played a Dark Souls game before, and I didn't think that I'd ever play one that was inspired by it. And then Jedi Fallen Order came out of nowhere and is one of the most incredible games I've played in the last few years. It was my game of the year, 2019, for sure. Um, it, it took that inspiration and just it did have difficulty levels so they iterated on it a bit made it their own and made a beautiful star wars game in the process have you heard rumors of project maverick no yeah that's the next star wars game that apparently they're working on that they're gonna be announcing very soon this month so it's fingers crossed for that and hopefully it's the next uh fallen order game excellent (laughs) my heart's racing now yeah (laughs) project maverick look it up it's pretty interesting all right. What were you saying there, Kyle, before I cut you off? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to mention, uh, you know, playing Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, like it was a really challenging game. Like I couldn't even finish it when it first came out because it was so mm-hmm. difficult. I had to reteach myself how to play their games because it was so different in style from Dark Souls. And I picked it up later in the year last year and I finally beat it. And that feeling just came flooding back and, you know, just that in general that's why i love from software yeah yeah that they, they take their own kind of studying and mastering a lot of games do that 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 you fall in love with you know what i'm saying like I, I know we've mentioned them a few times in this episode well the warcraft though like when i come back to it and i'm like gonna play seriously i have to get my mind in that thing where i'm like okay i'm moving with my hands but i can't be paying attention to that because i gotta look at rotation and where i'm at and it's the same thing with that where you're like Okay, yeah, but I need to make it to where dodge and, you know, maybe parry and stuff like that are just second nature so I can work on other things. You, know, you have to kind of learn how to ride that bike again. Okay, I think that is going to be it for our top fives. I think we have some amazing lists here. Let's get one more shout out for you guys' streams. Uh, Kyle, what is your stream again? Uh, yes, uh, twitch.tv slash monumentuskyle. And uh, right now I don't have a stream schedule, but best way to find out if i am streaming is following my twitter also at monumentous kyle okay and kevin what is your stream and twitter all right you can find me at twitch.tv slash kevinjection i am also at kevinjection on twitter i also currently don't have much of a schedule but you can find me on friday nights on twitch.tv slash kevinjection streaming with these two lovely folks yes please join us for community night every friday night at 7 p.m pst uh, and I cannot suggest it enough. Check out their old podcast, Pushing Buttons. Uh, you guys notice how they knew their developers well and the insight behind them. That's the part that I fell in love with. And uh, and you guys can find more about that. And please hang out with them. I can't suggest it enough. All right, guys, we have so much coming to you guys this week. The next episode will be a deep dive on the Ubisoft company. Have a good week. Thank you for joining us on the Geek Freaks Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Geek Freaks Pod. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. You can email us. We have our Patreon and a store. All those links are in the description. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week.